We're going to go to the book of uh, John's Gospel. First chapter, and we're going to read the first four verses. And then we're going to jump down to verse 14. And uh, we're going to read verse 14. Uh, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture that uh, many of us can, can quote. But um, we're going to share with you this for our message today as you pray for pastor as we attempt to minister the Word of God. This is what it reads like. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. We're going to go down to verse 14 and read it also. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And may everybody say amen to the reading of the word. Lord, as we come today, we thank you and we praise you for the privilege to be here. Thank you for your goodness and your grace today. I'm asking for your help and guidance as I attempt to minister from your word. Speak to our hearts. Encourage every soul. In Jesus' name, let everybody say, and you can be seated. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. I would like I would like to make one other announcement um, before I get into the message. Uh, I would like several folks in our congregation to really consider what God has done for you. And what now you are doing for him? Some people are content in just coming to the house of God and, and warming the pew. But God needs labors in the kingdom. It takes workers. It takes men and women willing to make a commitment to the cause of Christ. I don't know why it's always been, because even Jesus himself told his disciples in his day, pray that the Lord, the Father of the harvest, would send labors into the kingdom. There's always been a shortage of labors. I don't know why some people don't want to commit. Down through the years that I've been ministering, and I've went to this one and went to that one and asked, I need somebody to do this in the church. Somebody help out here. Would you do that? 
and I have had I have had three more times people say no than say yes. And then a lot of times people will say yes, they'll make a start, and then all, all of a sudden you look around, what happened to them? Where are they at? Uh, we need to think about how God has been committed to us, and we need to be willing to commit something to him. I don't know how long it's going to be till the Lord returns, but I know one thing, there's a lot of things to be done, and it takes laborers to get that done. I don't know about you, and I realize I'm getting older, and I have been ministering for a, a, a day or two, uh, and I, uh, but as I stand before you today, the pastor could care uh, uh, could couldn't care a lick about maintaining the church. I don't care nothing about maintaining a church or maintaining a congregation. I still feel within me just as strong today as I did the day that I took over. That we don't should we shouldn't maintain. We should have on our mind about building. Building the kingdom. Now, we need, we need labors. And just, just pray about this. Consider about it. Uh, there's so many things that needs to be done in the, in the kingdom of God. And we need workers. The way we're set up now, we cannot just operate with just uh, uh, with one or two like we did at one time. It takes three people up top to run everything fully. And uh, most of the time, we don't have that. There's a lot of time <laughs> poor Chris comes in on Wednesday night uh, especially, and he's trying to do all three things by himself, and this can't be done. It's an impossibility. And we need people willing to step up to the plate and say, even you, it's easy to say, well, I don't know how to do this or I don't know how to do that. But if we could have people step up and say, I'm willing to be taught. I'm willing to be trained. I mean, <laughs> I know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear it today, later on, because there are going to be some people say, what happened to the program on live stream today? You did not put it on. I've been fussed at before by not getting it on. It's not on today because Chris is out sick, and he's the only one that can do that. He's the only video man we got. And um, uh, I don't need to be tied up behind this piano here. Even after I minister, I need to be free where I can be down here and pray for people. God didn't call me to hit play those tickle ivories. He called me to minister and pray and, and preach the word. Now, I'm thankful God gave me what little bit I can do because he, he knew I was going to be needing it. Amen. But if somebody would be willing, I'd, I'd be willing to donate some time to try to give somebody some lessons to help them that we could turn somebody loose. See, to that, I pray that God will send us another good keyboard player in here. And uh, 
I'm excited about 2018, and I believe God is going to do some great things, but we have got to get more people active in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So all I'm asking you for today and right now is just, is just pray about it and think about it and, and be willing to say, well, what can I do to help in the kingdom of God? Is that all right? Give the Lord a hand clap. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <coughs> I want to speak to you today on a subject titled, Heaven's Gift Wrapping. Heaven's Gift Wrapping. Hallelujah. Now, our message today, this is the second one in the series that's leading up to Christmas. The first message was Bethlehem's bread that I preached uh, a couple weeks ago. And as you may recall, we learned that the meaning of Bethlehem was house of bread. And we also noted that Jesus was the living bread which came down from heaven so we could eat therefrom and never die. Hallelujah. Today's message I've called that heaven's gift wrapping. And we are going to talk about the first Christmas gift and how it still provides joy, hope, and excitement for all who receives this special revelation from heaven. Now, children especially love, amen, the gifts of Christmas. And whether or not you're young or not, you still like to you still like to get a gift, amen. It still made it excites excites us and everything, but the greatest thing that excites me, amen. Just like a few minutes ago when they was up here and they was um, uh, uh, doing that um, sign language in that song a while ago, man, the spirit of God began began to bubble up over me when I began to think about how much God loved me. Hallelujah. Amen. Willing to die for me. Willing to suffer for me. Hallelujah. Him, oh, glory. He thought I was to die for. And guess what? He thought the same thing for you. Woo. Glory to God. That excites me. Amen. That gives me joy. That gives me hope and enthusiasm. Now, Thinking about gift wrapping, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you just a little bit uh, of uh, Christmas trivia, something to think about. Thinking about gift wrapping, each year, this is what I, I looked up and uh, and found out. My my my, you know what? I don't I, um, I don't know what people how people can live anymore without Google. It wasn't been that long ago somebody said Google, I'd say, what? Google eyes, what? Now, everybody, I don't think you can live without it. When you, when you look things up, this is, this is something I found out about gift wrapping. Each year, there is an estimated 8,000 tons of Christmas wrapping paper used and Christmas wrap sales 
just the sales for the wrapping will exceed $2.6 billion. This year, $2.6 billion is going to be spent, Brother Jeff, for something that's going to be wadded up and thrown in the trash. Not unless you're like Sister Darlene, who drives me crazy. Don't throw that away! <laughs> Look who walks in the door. Hallelujah. Amen. $2.6 billion will be spent alone this Christmas just for wrapping paper. Wow. Man, man that's mind-boggling to me. 50% of all the paper consumed in the U.S. is used for gift wrapping and decorations. I thought, man, you know, when, you know, man, Lord of mercy, we, we, have to, we have to buy copy paper here at the church by the cases now. You know, I mean, uh, with everything that we do and use uh, with uh, for paper. But it says, it said that um, 50% of all paper consumed in the country is used for gift wrapping and decorations. Christmas wrapping paper was first sold by Hallmark in 1917. The first gift wrapping, now that I've told you about all of that, I want to tell you this, that the first gift wrapping occurred in Bethlehem well over 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. One thing, the angels told the shepherds that you will find the babe, what? In swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Now, a lot of people today say, well, there's nothing significant about swaddling clothes. That was just uh, long strips of uh, cloth that they used to, to wrap uh, the baby tightly, which, which is true. But it's also the same type of, of, of wrapping that they wrapped the deceased in before they buried him. Given an indication that Jesus came into this world to die for you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <coughs> that was the first gift wrapping. But it was the first gift wrapping was more than just the swaddling clothes. It was something else. And that's what I want to talk about, the main point of my message today, that the God of glory was wrapped in a child. Hallelujah. Think about that for a moment. Let that slip in for a little bit. The God of glory was wrapped in a child. 
I want to go back and read John 1 and 14 again. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hallelujah. And you're going to have to pardon me today because this message is something that kind of stirs that we all recognize that there's a hostility toward the Christian faith <coughs> that doesn't exist against any other major religion. It seems that Christians and their beliefs are the only ones whom it is acceptable to discriminate against. Don't you dare say nothing against the Muslims. You don't discriminate against them. You company people, don't matter how much hundreds of thousands of dollars you waste a year, amen, but if you got Muslims working for your company, you make sure you let them have their prayer time. Come on, somebody. <coughs> you, don't, you don't say nothing against any religion, but it seems to be okay to talk and say anything about Christians. And if you remember a message that I preached a few weeks back, I read you statistics which stated that there are more Christians that have been persecuted and martyred for their faith just since the year 2000 than there was during the whole first century. Read the Fox's Book of Martyrs. We know how many Christians in the early church were persecuted, thrown in jail, tortured, and killed. We know that all 12 of the apostles was killed except for one, John. He was the only one that died a natural death. And he was banished. But there have been more people killed, more Christians killed, more Christians persecuted, since the year 2000, this is 2017, than in all of the whole first century put together. Have you ever wondered why the hatred and hostility against Christ and his church? Why is there so much hatred? For Christians and the Christian church, because it's the Christians that show more love, do more giving than any other organization put together. When Katrina hit and all those people were suffering in New Orleans while the government officials were still twiddling their thumbs. Church organizations already down there helping people. And it's that way in any disaster. Hallelujah. I know I've searched it out. I see what happens. 
anytime a disaster hits. It's the church people of all various denominations, hallelujah, that are there first on the scene before the government people even know what's going on. But yet we're the ones that are discriminated against. So why? Why the hatred and how centered against Christ and his church? It's really nothing new, really. It has been the case ever since King Herod slaughtered the innocent babies in Bethlehem attempting to kill the child of prophecy. So it's nothing new. I want to talk about the uniqueness of the Christian faith. The uniqueness of the Christian faith, which has always generated fear and hatred, is in fact that Jesus Christ was more than a baby in a manger. No other religion and no other religious leader can have the claims like we have. Go to the tomb of Muhammad and you'll find bones there. Go to the tomb of confusion and every other, amen, every other leader, go to the tomb, amen, of Brigham Young, amen, the man who built the, um, uh, all that uh, uh, church of Latter-day Saints and every one of them, and they're still in the tomb. But you go to Jerusalem and you look at the tomb of Jesus and you see a sign says, he's not here, he is risen. So the uniqueness of the Christian faith, which has always generated fear and hatred, is in fact, the uniqueness of it is that Jesus Christ was more than a baby in a manger. The uniqueness of the Christian faith is the fact that he was more than a boy while he was being trained as an apprentice in Joseph's carpenter truck. He was more than a man when he came walking on the Sea of Galilee on one stormy night. He was God wrapped in human flesh. If you understand that, because there's a whole religious world out there who don't know who Jesus is. They think he was just a good man. They think he was just a prophet. Amen. Somebody, what am I doing good? But I'm telling you something. Hallelujah. The first wrapped present for Christmas was when God was wrapped up in human flesh and came as a gift for me and you. Woo. Therefore, the religious elite wanted him dead because of a threat he posed to their man-made systems. You don't believe they wanted him dead and why they wanted him dead? John chapter 10, verse 31 to 33. <coughs> then the Jews took up stones again, that meant for the second time, to stone him. 
Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? I've fed 5,000. I've healed the sick. I've opened blinded eyes. Made the lame to walk. For which one of those things are you wanting to stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered him saying, For good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because that thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. That's why they hated him. That's why they hated him then, and that's why they hate him now. Because let me tell you something, church. If Jesus Christ was only a good man, then all the people running around in the world doing what they want to do to when they want to do it, how they want to do it, just go ahead and live it up. But if Jesus is who he claimed to be, they're going to have to face him at judgment one day. Hallelujah. So it generates fear and hatred. Now, the scripture in John chapter 1 says that the Word was God. Is not that what it said? We read it a while ago. Y'all stood while I read it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That ought to be pretty self-explanatory right there. Hallelujah. The Word was God. And then in verse 14, it said that the Word was made flesh. Amen? And dwelt among us. Oh, glory. Now, let me do just a little bit of of treaching here. Theologians call this the incarnate eternal word. They talk about the birth of Christ being the incarnation and that he is the incarnate eternal word. That's what theologians say. What in the world does incarnate mean? What does that word mean anyway, incarnate? What in the world is it? You know, what does it apply to? Well, let's break it down. Break it down just a little bit. Because even though the boy was in the scripture, the blind people don't know that word. <laughs> but this right here is going to show that they're just a little bit confused. Incarnate. Now, it's made up, it's a compound word in the original. The prefix in, it means to be in or inside. To be inside. Then, carn, C-A-R-N, the original in that, it means flesh. Carn. It comes from the same word when you're reading your Bible. talks about 
carnal or carnality. It means the flesh. And so we're talking about Ronnie incarnate. So if if that means to to be inside, and carn means to be flesh, incarnate means in the flesh, or more precise, wrapped in flesh. about that he was the incarnate word he was the word come inside or wrapped inside flesh wow wow if God was the word and the word was incarnate in flesh then God himself was wrapped in flesh and came to us as heaven's gift wrap to bring salvation to the world. You may or may not find a Christmas present underneath the tree on Christmas morning. Depends on what you've been nodding nice. to you, no gift wrap, you or myself, either one, will be able to unwrap is going to be greater than the gift wrap God wrapped himself <laughs> and gave you. Not all. Woo. Hallelujah. Like Brother Flanders says there at times, amen, I love my job. Hallelujah. Glory to God. John 3, 16, 17, we all quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. That is heaven's gift for us, my friend. Mary, the mother of Jesus, conceived when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Hallelujah. Joseph didn't have nothing to do with it. It happened before they come together, the Bible said. Mary, the mother of Jesus, conceived when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her. Thus, her child was the Son of God. And furthermore, wrapped inside that infant child was the great I Am. One of my favorite Christmas songs, Mary Did You Know. Kiss your little baby. You kiss the face of God. My, 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 my. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians. I'm going to give you a few scriptures. I'm fixing to wind down. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Hallelujah. 
This is what it says. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and have given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, to wit, that God, where was God? Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Hallelujah. <coughs> I'm not going to be able to get completely through. I've got to wind down. I'm going to give you two more scriptures, and I will end it. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy. <coughs> There's no need for argument here. Hallelujah. There, there, there's no need for disputing here. Great is a mystery of godliness. God, the incarnate, was manifest in the flesh. That word manifest, it means made known. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. I told you... Uh, only uh, two more scriptures, so here's the second one. Colossians chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Who is that talking about? That we have redemption through his blood? Who, who is that? That's Jesus. So we're all in agreement he's talking about Jesus here, right? It's through Jesus we get the forgiveness of sins through his blood, right? Verse 15. Who is the image of the invisible God? You see, that's why the Bible says it that no man, uh, no man has seen God at any time. He's talking about in his original form. God is a spirit. You can't see a spirit. But when God gift-wrapped himself, he became visible. <laughs> the invisible become visible. And when he became visible, who in the world did the uh, wise man and the shepherd see? Jesus. Hallelujah. My, my, my. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created. Hmm? 
by Jesus all things were created? Kind of sounds like Jesus existed before Bethlehem. Come on. Kind of sound like me. That Bethlehem wasn't Jesus' first rodeo. Ha, ha, ha. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in the earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, all things created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Everything I just told you in this message is why I'm apostolic. Because it is the apostolic faith, the faith that was declared by the apostles that identifies who the true church really is. These other folks may fill up the stadiums and the arenas. Hallelujah. But I don't have much time for them if they can't tell me who Jesus is. Tight, but it's right. Hallelujah. They don't know nothing about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Jumping around, banging on the guitar, got it banging on it way high, and or organ playing full blast is not anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Most of the church world today, just like back then, the Bible says he came to his own and his own didn't receive him. They didn't know who he was. And they still don't know him today. People even who profess to be Christians don't know who Jesus is today. We have an obligation to introduce them to Jesus. Because the book says there's one Lord one faith, one baptism, and that's a baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Stand to your feet.